This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, Show 59. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my co-host, Brandon Turner. That was nice. That was, that was very nice. You like that? I do. It's like, it's like my M- Michael Buffer intro for you. I don't even know what that is. You make all these references. I don't even know what you Let's get ready to, you know, that guy. Oh, that guy. Oh, that guy. Oh, that guy. Uh, do you like my new mic? Yeah, I do like your new mic. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I, I uh, got you one. Yes. Thank you for my new mic. Well, now, uh, now you can sound half as good as I do. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's something to strive for. Yeah. 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 So, uh, it's been a, a kind of a cool week this week. We've uh, we've had a, a bit of a milestone. I, I wanted to really quickly share, which is a hundred sixty thousand members on the site. Yay! Yeah, that's kind of cool. You know, things are things are moving along. Lots of lots of new folks coming to BP, learning, making moves, doing deals. It's uh, it's awesome, as we like to say. Awesome. Take a shot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Take a shot. Take a shot. So uh, we got a cool show today. I think uh, people are going to like this. Uh, this one we've we've got uh, a guy who's kind of a jack of all trades. And and before we before we get to that, I know Brandon wanted to share a quick, quick tip. tip. All right, this is my quick tip because today I learned a lesson. I don't know if it was a lesson, but whatever. Uh, today, as a house came up on the market in my town, my little town, for like. $39,000. And that's a really good deal in, in this town particularly. And I looked at it and it was already gone by the time I saw it. Like, I mean, quickly, uh, gone, I think. And, uh, I had looked at this house a year ago. It was just a vacant house in my town. I drove by it. I walked around the outside. I, you know, popped my head through the window, looked around and I thought I should contact the owners. And then I just kind of left it at that and I didn't do it. And now a year later it goes on the market and sold right away. So, my quick tip is if you're thinking about doing something, don't just think about it. Do it. If I would have done it a year ago, do it. Do it. I probably would have had it. it. So yeah, motivation, go do it and stop thinking about it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's a good tip. Good Thank tip. You. Thank you. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, we're going to get a lot of great tips in the show uh, featuring Paul Cheddar. And uh, Paul is a uh, is an investor up in the Washington area, and uh, he's done. Yeah, he he's in, in the rural yeah, yeah. Uh, side of the country. This is our first no. guest from uh, my neck of the woods. Nice. Yeah, I don't think we've had a. Well, why don't you Washington introduce game. him then? All right, I will. All right, Paul Cheddar is an investor from the Whidbey Island area. And he is uh, a jack of all trades. Like Josh said, he does a lot of different kinds of investing. So we're going to cover a ton of stuff today. So good show. And uh, yeah, with that, before I bring him in, quick reminder, everyone, go to the show notes page at biggerpockets.com slash show 59. You can ask Paul questions about his adventures in real estate. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. 
Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So with that, let us bring him in. All right, Paul. Welcome to the show, man. Good to have you. Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Paul, would you want to, uh, why don't we start by, what, what is your last name? How do, how do I say your last name? Because I couldn't figure it out earlier. It's uh, cheddar, like the cheese, but it's spelled, obviously spelled uh, kind of funny or messed up. All right, yeah, I, I had some trouble with that. So. Why are you picking on the guy for his name, man? <laughs> a little childish, I think. <laughs> you know, that's I'm how used I roll. to it. That's how I roll. I don't want people, you know, looking at the title of the podcast and being like, Paul, so, so the number seven, the letter Q. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Come up with an original. Come up with an original uh, way to pronounce it. I'll, I'll see if I've heard it before. Nice. There you go. There you uh, go. Work on it. Well, cool. Cool. All right, man. Well, so Paul, tell us. Uh, you know, tell us how you got started. You're, you're, you know, you've done a ton of stuff in real estate. So how did how did it all kick off? Well, it's a long story, but uh, the quick version is um, I've wanted to be a real estate investor pretty much since I graduated from college, which was a long, the last decade or last uh, century, I guess. Um, <laughs> so, um, out of college, I figured I should probably get some education on real estate investing. And so I, um, one of my first jobs was I went and worked for a apartment broker who sold, um, you know, who specialized in selling apartment buildings in the Bay area and just kind of worked as his, um, grunt slash, you know, right-hand man, uh, you know, getting to know the market and helping him with listings and marketing and all that stuff and, uh, worked for him for about a year and really learned, learned a ton. Nice. Um, how did you find that guy originally? Do you remember? You know, remember? to be honest, I think it was, 
I believe it was on Craigslist way really? back in the day. Yeah. Oh, nice. Now, now, did you start doing that with the intent that someday you would become a real estate investor, or or was it, hey, I want to get in the business. Let me kind of dance around and try different things. Good question. I I didn't really know. I mean, I I, I knew that I'd talked to some brokers and kind of knew that that you know that's a one way that people got started is. Um, you know, just kind of becoming an expert in a, in a niche and making, you know, making some good money doing that. And then ultimately kind of converting over to become an owner. So I, I was open to maybe the path was being a broker, but it was just mainly just to start my, um, kind of in my education. You know, I thought, why not get paid a little to, uh, learn, learn, kind of get the street, you know, learn how somebody's actually doing this. And, and, uh, rather than going to school, I'm more of a, you know, kind of hands-on guy. So nice. Nice. Okay. So, so you're working there. Did you get your license or, or were you just assisting um, another thing? I, I was just assisting. I, I kind of started that process, but, but pretty quick, uh, realized that that wasn't the, the right path for me. Okay. Um, so, but that led, there's more to the story, but it led to through one of, um, his clients, who was a buyer you know, or an owner who bought apartment buildings, um, I actually moved back down to Los Angeles and got a job for this small uh, apartment rehabber. He basically bought um, small, you know, under 100 units, 50 to 100 unit apartment buildings, and they were just getting going down in uh, uh, Los Angeles area. And same thing, he kind of needed a right hand man grunt to. to project management and helping with rehabs and kind of overseeing vendors and um, helping a little bit out with acquisitions. And so um, that, that job with the broker kind of transitioned nicely to a job working for an actual owner and kind of seeing that side of the business. You know, that, that job right there, what you did, like there's no like title necessarily for it, right? Like you said, grunt project manager, <laughs> right. there's like 50 different job positions, but that is the guy that like every successful real estate investor I know is always looking for, right? Like that, that is a position, even though it doesn't have a title. Yeah. I mean, I wish I had that, that guy. And, uh, I don't know. So I, I think all those people that are listening to the show out there who want to get into real estate and don't know how to get started, be that guy and you'll ne- you'll never have a problem. Right. Absolutely. So anyway, yeah, the, the the pay wasn't amazing, but it was just it was like you know uh, again an MBA in in a year. I mean it was it was yeah. fantastic education. That's awesome. So so you stayed with him for a year, or were you there for for a longer time? No, I just I was uh, both jobs about a year. Um, and the next part of the story, just to keep it keep it brief, was um, I kind of uh, I, I got married and I was kind of trying to figure out you know congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Um, but I ended up starting a seemingly kind of random, but, but it it did have a purpose and it was kind of targeted towards real estate was I actually thought, well, I need to kind of build some, uh, capital myself and why, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. Why don't I start a service business that kind of targets some aspect of real estate, you know, the apartment industry or the commercial real estate industry, let me build a little company, stay, stay connected to the, uh, real estate, continue to learn, continue my education, but also build a, you know, start a little company and, and build some capital so I can start buying, you know, I, I definitely wanted to still buy my own apartment buildings or commercial buildings or whatever. So I started a little um, payment processing business back in 2002 and we targeted apartment uh, management companies, um, helping them collect rent and, application fees and, and, you know, everything related to collecting rent, um, you know, online with credit cards, um, ACHs. And so we started this, uh, myself and another gentleman started a, uh, 
a little service business to um, with that kind of in mind. Oh, that's nice. Interesting. And and so obviously you you built it up to the point where you had the capital to to kind of jump in and and kick things off. Yeah, uh, ten years later, <laughs> I've been doing that since two thousand two, and, and just you know, in the last few years, have, have finally after you know many kind of starts and stops of of trying to just pull the trigger on my first deal. Um, you know, it's really not been the last few years that I I finally jumped in. So um, I still have the the credit card business, and um, but I'm, I'm pretty much full time now doing real estate investing. Oh, cool. So how did then? How did your first deal? You said it took what ten years. How did that first deal come up? Well, um, you know, I, I finally, you know, the the uh, real estate market had, had really obviously dropped off in, uh, you know, 2007, eight, And um, I moved back up to Washington, which is where I grew up um, around 2009. And so when I got up here, Ooh. I thought, yeah, I thought it's it's time. I, you know, I was tired of making excuses and, and uh, I just just finally made the plunge. So. We moved into uh, just north of Seattle to a, a really neat place called Whidbey Island, um, which is isn't that where be, uh, what, what was War Games? Not, wasn't War Games filmed on Whidbey Island with with the Matthew Broderick? Was that what uh, it was you called? Know, that I have heard that. I I don't I, I have not been able to verify that, but I, I have actually heard that. I yes. feel like that's what what it was called. I think you're right. So um, so yeah, we just started. Uh, you know, finally bought uh, my first. Made my first transaction here a few years ago, and I guess I could nice. tell you a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah, it's called Goose Island, by the way, as as I look it up on Google here. So I, I was incorrect. Apologies. Well, I don't even know what you're talking about. Oh, <laughs> oh, War Games. Have you never seen War Games? No, I don't even know what that is. Baldy. What are you like? Twelve. <laughs> Matthew Broderick's only movie I've seen is like Godzilla and uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Paul, have you is seen War more? Games? Oh yeah. That's oh. an old. That's an oldie. That's it's a, a classic, yeah, man. It's a classic. Yeah. 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 Come anyway. on, Brandon, get with it. <laughs> All right, I'll check it out. All right. So, first deal. What What was it like, or what did you do? So, um, I live. Whidbey Island's a very rural type part of the country. <laughs> <laughs> Emphasis on rural. On rural. Uh, um, so you know, we just have a lot of. It's it's kind of a, a. There's a lot of second homes and a lot of real high. It's kind of a not a resort area, but a you know people from Seattle own homes up here, so it's kind of a retreat um, second home type market. So the the um, kind of more entry level uh, traditional long term rentals, um, you know, are just real basic three bedroom two bath type houses. So one of my ideas to to jump in was to. Um, actually buy uh, manufactured homes and I, I own a few of those now and, and so I found what I actually did on my first deal is I found a lot that um, had previously had a home on it um, that had been demolished because it was actually a meth house Ooh. and so I was able to pick up a um, a lot from the bank for a mere $6,000 Wow! and um, that was my first you know, transaction. And I had, uh, also started putting out some feelers to find a, you know, a nice late model manufactured home to actually move on to the lot and improve it and, you know, either rent it out or sell it. So that was, um, that was the first, you know, transaction that I did up here. Hey, hey Paul. So was that, uh, buying the property was, was, was the house already raised at that point or was, yeah, I, was it still standing? No, I literally bought it, uh, 
you know, like a week after the they had gone through the full form. I don't know, if, you know, if you guys are familiar with the process, but it's it's pretty mm-hmm. extensive and expensive. Um, and the the health department had just signed off on, uh, you know, the, the lot was basically good as new. The bank had dealt with all the mediation, the payment, yeah. yep, to the tune of uh, fifty thousand dollars. Uh, nice to knock the house down. Um, so no, I didn't have to deal with any of that. Wow. Wow. So, so clean and clear six grand, you got this beautiful lot, you go find a manufactured home to, to put on it. And you, you had not dealt with any of these types of properties before, had you? The, the mobile? No, no. I mean, it was pretty new. Um, yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't done that. I just had kind of had the idea and had, uh, seen that they'd make good, you know, for this area, they're, they're decent rentals and the, you know, just the, the ratios kind of work up here. So, um, I had kind of heard of people that would move up here, buy five acres and um, put a mobile home on it. And then down the road, they'd finally build their dream house and they'd need to deal with the mobile home. And so th- th- that's kind of the type of thing I was looking for was somebody that, you know, had a five, 10 year old mobile home and I could pick it up for cheap and move it, you know, move it to my, one of my properties as a rental. And um, that's not exactly what happened, but I, I ended up finding a, a, a nice mobile about a year and a half later. And, uh, we actually just, we just finished that, you know, completed that deal about, uh, three, four months ago. Well, let's talk numbers on that. If we could, um, you said you bought the lot for 6,000. What did the, what did the home cost to buy and move it? So the, the home was free 99, nice. uh, didn't, didn't have to actually pay for it. The guy, you know, would have cost him five, $6,000 to get rid of it. And it wasn't, you know, it was, it was a 1980s, uh, three bedroom, two bath. Uh, needed some, you know, needed some freshening up, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, uh, you know, it was worth my, my time and effort. So, so we picked that up. I, I actually had secured a private loan from a local investor to, to do the project on top of that. So, um, I ended up spending about $50,000 total to, you know, move it, place it, fix it up, put in a new septic system. So it was, a, you know, pretty involved, but, but, um, you know, now we've got a, a rental, you know, we're into it for about fifty, fifty-five thousand, and it rents for eleven hundred. Okay, so it, it's pretty much the two percent rule, and you got that on a, you know, on Whidbey Island, which is an expensive area generally. Right. Uh, so that's that's cool. That's it's cool. hard to find. Yeah, it's hard to find a, a even just a real basic three bedroom uh, home here for under two hundred. I mean, that's kind of the wow. The uh, yeah. Wow. So so l- let me ask you. I mean, so this this was your first deal, yeah. Yes. Okay. So you've got this lot, you've paid $6,000 and and it took a good year and a half before anything could happen. Were you, did you do anything with the property in in the meantime or was it, I mean, 6,000, it wasn't super expensive. So it wasn't really draining a hole in your pocket. Uh, But yeah, anything in the meanwhile? No, I mean, I just, I knew it would probably take some time if I wanted to, you know, get what I was looking for. I mean, I could have gone out and bought what I needed for 30 or 40 grand probably, but I knew that I needed to be patient. So I just pretty much sat there, uh, you know, mowed it a couple of times and, uh, just, just waited. In the meantime, I was doing other transactions. I wasn't waiting, you know, for that, but, uh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, and took- here, here's, here's my question. So, you know, I, I hear mobile home as somebody who's never dealt with them. I think, Oh, it's, you know, one of these things on wheels, you know, you can move them around, do whatever you want. Why the heck does it cost fifty grand to do? You know, obviously you talk about the septic system, but there's right. there's more than one class of mobile homes, correct? I mean, there's movable and non-movable. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they, there's, there's a huge range. Um, this is a, you know, a, a double wide. It's, it's not on wheels. You, they, they do to move them. They, they actually split it in two pieces and, and put axles underneath it. It's on a metal frame, but you know, for, from the outside, it, it really looks like a, just a very basic, uh, traditional stick built home. We, we put them on, uh, kind of a, a concrete slab and, and, concrete around the, the base as opposed to you know just throwing up wood or you know plastic so it actually you know it looks like a real house from the outside um but yeah there's there's triple wides there's double wides and there's you know single wides and the, the double wides are really what i'm interested in just because they're you know for the money and for the you know they they feel similar to a, a stick built home now now take take the uh Take the case of the property you've got. So you've got this uh, fifty-five hundred bucks into it. You know you're you're making pretty good rental. Uh, have you considered the other side of of just uh, owning a home at a park? Is, is there anything really different about that than than what you're doing here? Well, um, you know, I had looked into that too, and and that's you know, I know a lot of guys do that. This the nice thing about this is um, if you if you uh, Buy if you, if you do one of these and it's you know it's after I believe it's 1978 or 1976 I can't remember the cutoff, but um, you, the uh, owner occupied buyers can actually get financing for this type of uh, you know when you, when you take the mobile move it onto a piece of property and, and attach it to the property um, you can get conventional financing so um, I like that just because it gives me and you know I, I'm holding it as a rental right now but down the road I have an exit strategy and and um, this type of home, um, you know, I, I can sell it easily for 100 to 125 in, in this market. Nice, <laughs> nice. Now, a typical mobile home, it sounds like you can't get conventional. Is it, is it, it's similar to like a car financing, isn't it? Um, you know, I, I'm, again, the, uh, when you're in a park, there's different financing from what I understand. And then again, I'm not an expert in that, that arena, but all I know is when, you know, when you do attach it to, you remove the title because the mobile from the factory has a title. And when you remove that and, and actually affix it to a, a piece of property that's owned, um, it, it becomes like real, real property. Cool. Right on. Hey, can you, can you share any uh, mistakes you may have made or things you regret if you were to go back and do it again, you'd do differently on that first deal? Um, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, th- I probably spent a little too much money on the rehab. I mean, I needed some updating and I, I you know, I probably went a little further than I, than I needed to. Um, I, um, it, it went pretty smooth. And, and the reason is I actually, uh, in the midst of, buying that property and actually getting this mobile home for that property. I, I, I had actually um, purchased another property and, and moved one of these already. So I'd act, this was actually, it was my first piece of property I bought, but it was the second uh, mobile home that I'd moved. So it actually went pretty smoothly. I, I had used the mover before I had used a lot of the same vendors, you know, the concrete guy and the, the, uh, you know, the remodelers and contractors and all that. So, okay. So you didn't do the, the labor yourself inside to fix it up. I don't, yeah, I don't do any, any of the work myself. I've got some fantastic local handymen and contractors and laborers and, um, I've got a really good team. Cool. And that's the question, you know, we ask a lot of people, but, uh, do you have any tips on finding good contractors? Um, 
you know, I, I like, since I'm just kind of a small guy, I like uh, just through networking and Craigslist. I mean, I, I, I like working with just um, the, the small one-man kind of handyman type guys that, uh, you know, may or may not be licensed. Um, I've, I've just been really, maybe I've just been really lucky, but I, um, you know, it's really been through, through networking and, you know, talking to local property management companies and um, that I've kind of found the guys that I like to work with. Okay. And here's a kind of a specific question and I've never asked this on the show before, but I'm curious, what do you pay? Like, let's say you've got, some sheetrock that got damaged from whatever, you know, a water leak that happened years ago. What do you pay a typical contractor to go fix that up? I mean, per hour, are you 15, 50, a hundred an hour? Like where are you at up there? Um, it kind of ranges from 15 to 30. I mean, that's a huge range, but you know, I've got more labor guys and then I've got more skilled carpenters. So yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's really been that range. Okay. 15 to 30 is, is what I pay. Yeah, I think I want to start asking that question more often because yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm always curious. Like, I, I pay generally like twenty to twenty five in my area is about kind of the going rate for somebody who's yep. who's decent and licensed and bonded probably can do this stuff. But yeah, okay, cool. Well, okay, let's so let's go back to your story. Uh, you did that first deal. After that, and, and that first deal kind of spanned several deals. Right. So let, let's talk about your second and third. Kind of where did you go next after you bought that land? Well, I mean, really about the same time I, I had two other properties and contracts. So I, I was, I kind of came out of the gate swinging. Um, I had, you know, so, so there was just a lot of deals at the time and uh, I had, a, you know, kind of the resource and the financing to, to do the, you know, a couple deals. Um, and so, uh, you know, roughly the same time as closing on that lot, um, I bought a, um, just a kind of a conventional three bedroom, two bath uh, stick built house in a similar area. Um, and then I, you know, like a month later also, uh, closed on a, um, in an older three bedroom, two bath, uh, kind of farmhouse that, uh, is also kind of a, a traditional rental. Okay. And, uh, do you mind ask, you know, me asking how much you paid for those? Yeah. So the, the, the first, the, or the second transaction was a uh, you know three bedroom two bath two thousand square foot and I paid one thirty for that. Okay. And um, that one we fixed it up. You know needed I think it put about twelve or thirteen thousand into it and that one rented out for thirteen hundred. Okay. And the so it's not a you know not a home run not a screaming deal but I was able to um, about six months after we did that refinance it and pull most of the money that we had put down we we bought, had a conventional loan on that and pulled most of the money out and and it still cash flows of you know a couple hundred bucks a month. Hey, let's so. let's let's actually talk on that a little bit because I like that strategy. Uh, you said mm-hmm. I mean for those people who are listening who don't know what that all means, can you kind of go through that uh, a little more? Uh, I don't know, detailed on yeah. refinancing it out. Yeah. So we, we, this one actually I bought with a partner and we, we you know, had to put 20% down. We, we had a traditional loan with a conventional bank and, you know, uh, U.S. bank. And so we had to put, you know, roughly, I don't know the exact math, but, you know, roughly, you know, 30,000 down, $35,000 down. And then we put about, like I said, twelve, thirteen thousand of our own money into it to fix it up. <clears throat> and so we got, and then we got it rented, and we kind of let it, you know, let it uh, do its thing for six or eight months. 
And um, then we went back to the bank, got it reappraised. And I knew going into it that we'd potentially be able to do this because when we bought it for 130 it actually appraised for 185 Oh, nice. Wow. So we kind of had that, that data going into it. So, so we got it refinanced or we got it reappraised and it, it reappraised at 200 after we fixed it up and had it rented out in the market. I think it started to improve a little bit. And so, um, you know, if it appraises for 200, you can do a, you know, 70 to 80% loan to value, um, on the property. And so in this case, we were able to put a $150,000, uh, mortgage new loan to pay off the original loan on that property. And, um, you know, at that point we, you know, we paid off the loan and there was extra left over. So we, you know, basically paid ourselves, you know, took, took our money back out. And so now we've got, you know, basically no money into this deal. And, you know, it's not an incredible return, but, uh, you know, the market's improving and we're cash flowing a little bit and we have none of our own money in the deal now. So yeah, so pretty it, much infinite returns at this point. You're just doing yeah. real profit. That's cool. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm working on kind of the same thing right now that I wrote a post a while back about the ugly purple triplex that I bought. And it was, uh, we paid uh-huh. 70 for it. It appraised 90 when we bought it. And the appraiser had told me, you know, this is worth a lot more than what I can appraise it for, but there's just no comps right now. So that's what I'm hoping to do. Exactly the same thing. I'm hoping mm-hmm. I can get it to appraise for, you know, 120, 130 and go out and get a 70% refinance and pull all of my cash and everything back out along with my partner. So. It's yep. the exact same story. It's one of my favorite strategies there is for investing with no money. Right. Um, or at least getting your money back. So, right. Cool. Um, so you mentioned partner, uh, you worked with a partner on this. Can we talk on that a little bit? Yeah, I, I definitely am a, a fan of partners. Um, I've done, I've done deals on my own. I've, I've used different partners. Um, one of my first partners, like I've heard on, uh, from a lot of people is a, a relative or, you know, friend or relative. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we just, you know, we had an arrangement where, um, you know, we were both brought some money to the table. I was doing most of the work and, um, you know, it's worked out great. We've, we've bought a, you know, like I said, I bought different properties with different people. So it's, so, well, can, can we, can we cover, the, uh, the, the way that you, that you do that, because say you've got a partner, you guys both bring money to the picture and you're doing all the work. You know, I, the way I see it, it's, he's not bringing everything. So you're definitely not going 50, 50. Are, are you doing like 60, 40 splits or how, how, how are you working that out? Well, every, every it's, I mean, I don't have one standard way of doing it, but with this first partner, um, it was, it's a, it's a 50, 50 partnership. I put a little money in just cause I really hadn't, didn't have a track record at that point. Um, even though it was a family member, I, um, you felt like I needed to put a little bit of money in the, into the deal. So, but since then, um, as I've developed a track record, it's, you know, your, your deal structures can definitely change. I mean, you have more leverage. You've now, I've, now I've, you know, the recent partnerships I have, I, I put, you know, little to no money in and, and my partners usually put most of the money up and, and I, you know, again, I do the work and kind of have developed the track record to uh, manage the assets. So, yeah. And, and you say track record and, and I think it's something that we hear over and over and over again on, on the podcast. And yeah, you know, I, I like to emphasize because I think it's super important for, for the newer investors who say, well, you know, I've, I don't have a lot of money. I don't know what I can do here. You know, how do I proceed? And, and, you know, ultimately 
Yeah, maybe you turn to a family member. I mean, we've covered a million ways to to, to start out in finance, but uh, you know, as you proceed forward, you build a track record for yourself by being successful and demonstrating that you can do these deals. You're, you know, you're going to build trust in those people who are going to potentially lend you money or work right. with you, partner with you. And, and over time, essentially, it just becomes easier and easier to do deals with less of your own capital. Absolutely. I, I had, this is so funny, I literally last week I was at one of my jobs and one of my contractors actually, he heard me on the phone talking to one of my investor partners and this contractor started, he kind of pulled me aside and said, hey, you know, what's the minimum to get into this thing? How do, <laughs> I mean, so it's, it's amazing when you start, you know, doing stuff, I mean, that people start finding you and, um, you know, again, this is a guy that works for me all the time and he, he was interested in parking some money in real estate. So he, he you know, we had a, a conversation about that. So, so, and how did, how did that particular person find you? Was it, you know, you just tell everybody, which, which is something that I think people should do or, or was it just kind of uh, word of mouth? Um, you mean the initial partner or no, no, no the, the one you were, you had, just oh, it was, I mean, literally it's a, it's a guy that works for him. I mean, a contractor that oh, okay. has some extra money and just, you know, he knows what I'm doing and kind of hears me talking to my partners and he, you know, he, that's cool. Just ask, you know, how do I, how do I jump into this? So, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. But it's all, but it's all now. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, there's no website, there's no, it's all networking. In my experiences, it's, it's just networking and, and just doing what you do and, and, you know, at first you kind of are seeking people out, but, but, you know, after a little bit that more people start asking you what you're doing and, um, you know, everybody, you, you, you develop a niche and a skill set that not everybody has. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so have you, have you taken any, uh, have you done hard money loans or other, are there types of private money other than partnerships? So I've done seller financing. Um, I did that, that the first manufactured home deal I told you about that was just a, a pure um, it was actually what some people call a soft money loan um, where you one challenge I have with the mobile homes is you can't I can't as an investor currently get um, conventional financing that's one of the limitations to that strategy um, at least currently and so um, that was a, a gentleman who lent me private his you know his own uh, private money, but gave me a, a reasonable return. It, it, it's like I've got a 10-year loan at, uh, I believe it's 5%. So I've done that. And then I just did my first, I've, I've got a project I'm working on now where I, I did my first uh, hard money loan. Okay. Gotcha. Can we talk about that a little bit? How did that, how did that go for you? Well, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so maybe I can ask more specifically, what kind of, what kind of rates and terms uh, did you get for that? Well, and before before we even go there, sure. why 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 did you decide to do that versus uh, take on another partner? Yeah, so this one, um, I, you know, I've wanted to just try it out as I'm, yeah, you know, I'm still I'm still pretty new at this. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely uh, I've gotten some reps in the last few years, but I, you know, I'm, I just have wanted to for the right deal, you know, wanted to try doing a, a hard money loan because it's, um, you know, obviously there's there's a bunch of benefits and there's a bunch of downsides to it but the, it was a deal where I just made a really good buy you know it's a property that you know it's probably I bought it for 60% of what it's probably worth um, as is and and then there's uh, you know even more upside once it's fixed up and so there was enough of a margin there where I felt comfortable um, to, to use hard money um, so I'm 
in the midst of the project, we're almost, we're probably two weeks from finishing it. And then at that point, I'm going to try to actually refinance it and put a conventional loan on it. And if for some reason the ratios don't work or doesn't appraise for enough, um, I've got some sellers, you know, it's an, it's a property that can very easily sell. So I've kind of got that as a backup. Nice. Okay, cool. And that that's really nice. important. I don't know it. Like we don't need to necessarily dive into it real deeply, but the fact that you have multiple exit strategies for this potential flip or potential rental it's perfect. It's cool. I I like having at least two, if not three, exits. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm pretty conservative, but I, uh, you know, I I really try to have. I, I'm trying to build a portfolio of rentals, but um, it's nice to know that you know, and if you need to sell it, you can sell it, and not be underwater. Yep. So. Okay, Paul. So here here's the deal. So you've got this property. Your your plan with this thing is to refi it and. Uh, get conventional financing, what would be the alternative? So, you know, you said you had ulterior exit plans. What were the ones that you had in mind here? So um, the second exit would be to just to sell the house, just to, to sell it. I, I've even got people that are, have contacted me just knowing the house in the area that want to buy it already. You know, they see that somebody's remodeling it and it's in a very desirable area. And so the, the backup exit is, is just to sell it and sell it for profit. Nice. Okay, cool. Okay, sounds good. Hey, w- one more question on, on this particular one. You mentioned that this was a 60% deal. Uh, y- you know, that, that's, that's kind of tough to, to come by a property worth 60%. How, how did you come across this one? So it's kind of a, a glitch in the matrix, so to speak. I mean, <laughs> it's just a totally random thing. Um, it, it's a property that I had had my eye on. The seller had tried to sell it maybe a year and a half ago and um you know it was just in my database and i've been watching it and it was it's kind of a weird thing it was one of these it was a reverse mortgage foreclosure and i'm not really to be honest that familiar with how that all works but basically you know the person passed away and um the bank just kind of so i guess sells it for kind of what's left on the mortgage or what you know what they're owed um I, you know to be honest i don't really understand how all that works but it just came on the market it wasn't an inside deal or anything it was a you know it came out on the mls and we wrote an offer the first day um and they actually had multiple offers and people even had a uh, written you know higher priced offers but just because of my track record and the guy that I use, the broker that I use, uh, we were able to convince the seller to, to go with our offer because it was, it was stronger. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, well you, you, know, you mentioned your database. You know, you've got this database of properties that you watch. You know, what, what, you know, what kind of criteria are you using for these properties? Is, is it uh, absentee landlords? Is it you know, uh, foreclosures and, and then, you know, I'm just curious, uh, to, to kind of talk a little bit about, you know, how do you manage it? Because, you know, this property came on the MLS, uh, did you have it, you know, tagged, uh, if this thing comes back on, you know, uh, to, to let us know, or how do you manage all that? So you have to understand, I live in a, a very, uh, small town. So, <laughs> When a, when a, I mean, it sounds funny, but literally when something comes on the market, I mean, I do, I do, I use, uh, one thing that I use is, uh, Redfin and they have a, a pretty good alert thing. So I've got my criteria in there and, the, you know, you can set up a user and they've got settings. And when, I mean, pretty much any property that comes on the market in Island County, which is our county, I, you know, know about the, the day that, you know, within hours of it coming on the market. Gotcha. Um, so that, that's, that's really for this immediate market. That's, I mean, that's kind of all it takes. Um, I do have a, 
a, a you know like a CRM system where I, I do kind of manage data on some other, some of the properties that I'm managing. But really, for my local market here, it's 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 just kind of an alert type of thing where, um, you know, I, I get an email when when a property if it's my criteria uh, hits the MLS, and then I've you know when I've got for if there's foreclosures or you know other deals that come across my plate that aren't uh, on the MLS, you know I've got this CRM system that I I kind of manage those leads. Nice. So so John Cougar Mellicamp was singing about you too, huh? What? <laughs> I don't get these references. I miss, I did actually. I, I'll be honest. I missed that one. Small town. Yeah, Got up it. in a small town. I don't even. Know. Yeah. I don't even know. I don't even. Yeah, no. we're in. We're in a small town. You have to be born in in maybe the early '80s or late '70s to get that, or any time before Brandon. Apparently, Josh, yeah. can, we get, can we get back to real estate? <laughs> Listen, <laughs> my job here is to distract. Yeah, and yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, no, I, I do want. I do want to point out something interesting. I mean, a lot of people who live in big cities or big areas, unlike the rural areas that Paul and I live in, you know, they, they might say, well, that's, you know, that's easy when you live in a small area to know all the properties that come up on the yeah, market. Yeah, must be nice. Yeah. I mean, I know it's every nice, guys, like I know all the properties in my town when they come up because there's only a few, right? But Brennan, your town is like a block, you know, you could throw a rock and hit the other side of town. So it's like, you know, it's not a big deal when it you is live a in a big deal. It yeah. is a, no. So here's my point though. Is everybody, I mean, when you're starting out, especially that's what, just define an area of the same size, right? Like if my area is a mile by a mile, so not a block, but it's like a mile by a mile, go pick your farm area and make it a mile by a mile. And you've got right. the same number of p- properties and just ignore everything else. Pretend everything else doesn't exist. That's your area. That's where you set up your alerts. That's where you set up everything. You become the king of that area and, you know, branch out once you get some experience but that's a great tip brandon thank you that is brandon that that actually really speaks to me because i think that's why it took me 10 years to get to starting is uh, it is so overwhelming when you live in a you know you know wherever seattle or denver i mean there's so many strategies and so many types of properties and so many ways to buy them and you know i I was just overwhelmed and so when i moved to i think that might have been part of the the thing that helped me get over the edge is, you know, it is a lot smaller yeah. area and a lot slimmer pickings. So, yeah. hey, so, so while we're talking about farming here, and and for those people <laughs> who are unfamiliar with the term, I'm not making fun what of you of rural guys there. Okay, no, I mean, rural. so yeah, rural. Um, <laughs> yeah, farming is basically kind of the process of working an area. So. Yep. so what what would somebody do to kind of set up a farm in an area that that is a, a bigger city? You know, how would you kind of determine your criteria uh, for what's the best one mile by one mile uh, plot that that you should pick and that you should work on? Is do you have any uh, ideas, any tips on that? Well, I, I don't know that. I, um, I guess what I'd say is you know just pick a couple zip codes. You know, maybe even start with one zip code um, or a couple zip codes, and just really try to be disciplined at becoming an expert um, in that area. I mean, I think that's even you know I hear realtors that that when they start doing their business, that that's kind of how they start is they they pick an area. So as an investor. You just have to be very disciplined because you know you get outside that area and and there's just so there's just too many deals and it's it's kind of overwhelming. So I guess that's yep. what I'd recommend. All right. I, I could add to that. Like 
I, I mean, off the top of my head, I think different areas are obviously good for different strategies. Like my area is not great for flipping. I mean, I've done it, but it's, it's not real great for it. Uh, other areas are amazing for flipping, but they're not good for rentals because you can't get the cash flow. So I, I think you've got to pick an area that, that fits whatever strategy you want to do. And I think a real estate agent, like a good agent who understands the investor mindset can help with that quite a bit. Just yeah. asking them, you know, I'm looking for... 1% or 1.5% or 2% deals, where can I get those in this area? And and of course, you want to talk to a real estate agent who actually knows what a 1% deal is. Yes. Right. <laughs> I mean, because, those, and those might be hard to find too, by the way. Yep. And that, and that's true. And, and if you can't find one, you know, jump on Bigger Pockets forums. There's people probably from every, you know, zip code in America on there. So, you know, find somebody who's in your area. You can get advice from, I mean, like if somebody asks me where's a good place to invest in Western Washington, I could probably tell them within a 500 mile range of where I'm at right now, what's generally good and what's generally bad, or at least good for flipping versus, you know, uh, landlording or whatever. So just find somebody nearby and talk to them. So quick tip. Quick tip. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9-to-5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Want to dive deep into commercial real estate, entrepreneurship, leadership, and the economy? Tune into the Walker webcast hosted by the CEO of Walker & Dunlop, one of the largest commercial real estate finance and advisory services firms in the nation. As an unparalleled leader in commercial real estate, CEO Willie Walker frequently appears as an expert on major platforms like CNBC and the New York Times. He's even been on the Bigger Pockets podcast network too. On the Walker webcast, you'll hear from guests like A-Rod, renowned economist Dr. Peter Linneman, and experts from Walker and Dunlop's capital markets, research, and investment sales groups. So fire up the Walker webcast on your favorite podcast app or join live on Wednesdays to see Willie interact with his guests. Plus, you can always catch the replay on demand afterward. Stay ahead of the curve with insights for life from the Walker webcast. Learn more and subscribe to the Walker webcast at walkerdunlop.com slash pockets. And be sure to follow Walker and Dunlop on all your favorite social media channels too. That's walkerdunlop.com slash pockets. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. 
Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Cool. All right, let's go back to uh, your story. We kind of uh, went off on a little tangent there, but I think it's important. Uh, Vacation rentals. We talked about that on a podcast a couple weeks ago with Matt Landau. And I hear you have is it a vacation rental or some vacation rentals. I have a vacation rental that um, I purchased in the midst of all this other stuff with a couple partners. And um, it's not something that I uh, wanted to intend. You know, it's not something I wanted to dive into per se. It was just an, it's a property that I've been watching for quite some time and it was an incredible buy and an opportunity. And, um, we just, we kind of, I, I don't want to say stumbled into it, but, you know, I, I ended up uh, being able to buy this property and, and it's a per, it's a waterfront property on Whidbey Island and it's, it's just an amazing location. So, um, it, 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 yeah, we, it was quite a process uh, to get, get that thing going. <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting that it just kind of fell on your lap. Like, you, you know, the, the other day Brandon was, was calling me and he's like, you know, I don't know how it happened. But somehow I just like accidentally ended up with another property. It just kind of <laughs> fell in my lap. Well, when you're when you're busy, you know, you're networking and you're you're in the world. It, I mean, I don't know, uh, it happens, right? It does. It does. It's just funny. Funny to hear. So, so you've got this this uh, vacation rental on on Whidbey Island that met some of your criteria, and you said you've got a couple of partners, yeah? Yeah. So. Man, it's a long story, and it, this one did not fall in my lap. I it, it took three years to buy this property, so I, I guess falling in my lap isn't probably the right uh, way. To, <laughs> that would be more a took, case of patience, extreme patience, yeah. some perseverance and patience. Yes, but um, it's such a long story. But the the quick uh, version is, I, I bought this one with actually my dad and another gentleman who I met through a mutual hobby. Um, which is uh, kiteboarding. We have a community of people up here on Whidbey Island that um, kiteboard, which is you know kind of like windsurfing. And this uh, guy is a kiteboarder from Seattle, and I had uh, we were having some trouble. Obviously, it took us three years getting this deal done, and so I um, kind of ran it by him. And again, it's a long story, but he he brought some real uh, expertise to you know helping us actually close on the transaction and and fix it up and um, helped was a huge part of helping us get the financing for it. Nice. All right. So, so can you run the numbers? Um, so this one, it, it's, it's such a unique property. Um, it, we ended up buying this property. Uh, it's 200 feet of waterfront right on useless Bay on Whidbey Island, which is kind of the prime. It's actually beach. called useless Bay. It, it's called useless Bay. It's nice. not a joke. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. And it, it's useless because it's uh, extremely shallow. Okay. So you couldn't get a ship in there back in the day. Gotcha. Um, but we ended up buying this property for it foreclosed. The guy had a loan for like six fifty, and it for, finally foreclosed, and we bought it for three hundred five, and we wow. put uh, we put one hundred and fifteen to twenty into it, 
So we just got the property reappraised, um, and it came back at uh, eight hundred thousand. Wow! So it was a, you know so too bad I can't find more of those deals. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. So 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 what is it, what is that rent out for? Yeah, you, know, you got this for you're you're in it for now. What uh, I'm, I've I've lost you since we've had yeah. six, six takes on trying to get this uh, right here. <laughs> so it's it's a you know it's a lot different than a traditional rental because it's a, you know it's rented by the week or the month, but um, we um, currently rent it out. For, I mean, we're, we just finished our first year. I mean, we it came online uh, March of 2013, so we just finished, or we're just finishing our first year. And we we rent it out for uh, in the high season about 300 bucks a night, and in the off season about two, two to 225 a night. So I, I think in the first year we did roughly. You know, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it you know it did way better than we expected. We were kind of going to be half full last summer, and it was it was literally booked all summer. I mean, it's it's just an amazing, uh, amazing. It turned out great. Nice. So. Are you are you guys managing yourself then, or do you have somebody taking care of it? And that's actually applies to all your properties. How are you doing everything? Yeah. So, I um I I don't manage um most all my conventional stuff or you know traditional 12 month rentals I I do not manage I use a local management company I uh I strongly dislike uh, dealing with that part of the business so I just you know build it into my budget and and rely on a professional and uh we have a great working relationship for the vacation rental just cuz it's so different and new and I hadn't done it before and I live 5 minutes from the house um we we are currently managing it you know, ourselves and we've had a huge success utilizing uh, vrb not to plug vrbo but uh you know they have a great system for marketing and for even managing the rental the calendar and okay. all that so it's, it's been pretty pretty painless nice hey, hey really quick so you said you're, you're fairly booked throughout the high season what kind of vacancy rates are you seeing otherwise well, it's it's still pretty early to kind of see huge patterns, but we we've done again better than projected this winter. Even I mean, we we definitely have weekends that aren't aren't booked, but you know most most weekends even in the off season are are booked. So we've, um, you know, I mean, literally the summer it's booked every day of the summer, and then you know in the you know November through March, um, you know, we we try to get every weekend, but it's you know occasionally we'll have a weekend where it's not booked. And how do you get somebody in there to clean it after each person? Do you do that as well, or do you hire that? I've got a team of you know three or four cleaning people that uh, you know kind of one or two that are are the consistent. And when they can't do it, I, you know, I've got being a, being again living here locally, it's it's pretty easy to find those you know pretty reliable people to do that. Cool, cool. That's very cool. All right. Well, why don't we? Uh, I guess move on, start wrapping this up. But a couple more questions I have for you before we, we go. I wanted to make sure I covered is, uh, do you have any tips for people getting started? Because you went 10 years, you said, before <laughs> you kind of did it. So what, what tips do you have for people listening that are struggling to get started? <clears throat> um, you know, I, everyone just has such a different road and path in their, their you know, career and personal life. It's, it's hard to say you know, one thing, but you know, I think... I guess the the only thing I can say is just you got to just at some point pull the trigger. I mean, I, you, I think we've heard this a million times on, on the bigger pockets podcast that, um, you know, you can, you can research, you can read books, you can, you, you know, you can do that for the rest of your life. But you know, there's a point in time where you just have to do it. You got to do your first deal. If you succeed or fail, you know, it, 
it kind of doesn't matter. You just got to start somewhere. So I think yeah, that's, that's probably the best thing I could say. Cool. That's great. That's great. All right. So, so before we run to, to the fire round, I, I, I do want to cover something uh, that uh, we, we have in our notes about you is you've also done commercial deals, right? Yeah, I, um, my island's very small. So at some point, you know, I had to start looking beyond the island. Um, it's, it's super convenient for the, um, you know, the traditional rentals, but I'm, you know, I started wanting to branch out. So um, I've in the last year bought a couple of um, small warehouse properties um, that we've been able to sign, you know, longer term triple net type leases where, you know, there's not as much management or little to no management required. And um, so the fact that it's off the island is not as big of a deal um, since it doesn't, once it's acquired and, and uh, at least it's, it's uh, easier to manage. So, so what got you to transition from, well, you said you're running out of, out, out of property because you called it your island. Presumably you own everything on the island. Yes, so what I it sounds like. Property, right? right. Okay. So, <laughs> so you've owned all, you own all the residential property. You decided, Hey, I'm going to go spread my wings a little bit and decided on warehouses. Yeah, it's kind of random. I mean, again, it's kind of a long story, but it just, there were a couple opportunities that came across fell into my lap, came across my desk. Um, and again, just being, seeing an opportunity to get some tenants on long-term leases, uh, you know, and just, they're, they're nothing fancy. They're just small, small warehouse type properties. Um, I just thought I'd try it and it's still very, you know, very new and I mean, less than a year. Yeah. So I'm not, not, don't claim to be the expert in uh, commercial property, but, uh, we're just kind of spreading the wings a little bit and trying some other stuff. So, and just really, really quick, because I'm, I'm fascinated. You know, I, I, I think most people who start in residential kind of transition to apartment buildings, um, the, the transition to uh, a warehouse, you know, did you have to do a lot of research or is it, is it fairly similar to a a residential lease or, or, um, you know, fill us in a little bit on, on that whole process of transitioning. Well, I, I think in my kind of 10 years of preparation, I, I ultimately wanted, wanted to own apartment buildings. And I, I think, you know, I still, that's still in my radar. The, the challenges in, in my market up here in Washington, it's, it's extremely competitive, uh, even to find small apartment buildings right now. So um, I had years ago looked into more commercial type properties and, you know, just as I was, you know, studying everything I could and looking at triple net leases and talking to brokers that did that. Um, even back when I was working for the apartment broker, there were, there were guys in the office that did more commercial property. So, you know, I knew a little bit about it. Um, but it was just kind of the, the opportunity presented itself and it was, um, you know, I was, I was kind of looking for it. I was looking beyond my immediate market and just was able to find some really good buys and they were, you know, relatively easy to, to rent. So again, it's not something that I'm, you know, trying to build a huge portfolio of warehouses. It's just something I wanted to dabble in and, and see how it went. You know, I'm, I'm still, you know, a relatively new investor and, and um, just trying a few different things out. Right on. Hey, Paul, were you the one who contacted me a few months ago about a property out here in my neck of the woods? That was me. Okay. Did you end up buying that? So it's a, another long story, but I've got it tied up. I've not bought it. It's in contract, but there was a issue with the previous owner and an eviction process. And so it's, it's in contract, but uh, it's in kind of a holding pattern. Okay. And I bring that up, not just to, you know, 
Um, cause I thought that was you, but what I yeah. thought was cool about that was like, you didn't necessarily know my area very well, but you found a property that was good. So you went on bigger pockets, found somebody in that area, reached right. out to me and I'm not, I'm not interested in that property. I don't even know anything about warehouses or whatever. Right. So like, I just think I want to recommend that people do that more often. Like if you don't know an area, just find somebody who's active on bigger pockets, who does know the area and go ask them for their opinion. I don't know if I helped you at all, but you know, no, absolutely. No, they definitely, <laughs> I mean, there's so many different angles and aspects when you're doing your due diligence and just, it, it I mean, it, it is a little thing, but it's a huge deal just to, you know, I just had a couple of questions about the area and, and, you know, in a couple of emails and a quick phone call, you were able to, kind of put my mind at ease about a couple of things. So yeah, no, it's huge. I mean, cool. the net, the networking is, is awesome. Cool. Good deal. All right. Well, uh, why don't we move on to, uh, it's time for the fire round. <laughs> wow. Wow. He just cut you off. Yeah. He, he's been doing that lately. All right. The fire round, these questions all come from the bigger pockets forums and we are going to fire them at you and you can fire them back if you'd like. <laughs> Number one, what is the worst financial advice you've ever received? To put money in the bank and get a 2% return and that that's safe, a safe investment. Good, good. That's terrible advice. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that's a good, good worst advice story. All right. Mm-hmm. In other words, what he's trying to say is thank you for the very good advice that you shared. You are yes. welcome. Yes, yes. Thank you. Josh. Yes. All right. So, uh, what 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 do you say the best way to find comps for properties are? Um, you know, I th- there's obviously tons of real estate websites, and um, you can kind of do it yourself. I try to rely on you know the experts in the market. So you know whatever the market is, you know finding the uh, real estate agents I typically will utilize, um, as well as you know I, I kind of poke around on the websites too, but I like to rely on people that know more than I do. So a lot of times I'll use agents. Okay, cool. Okay, Paul. So, so you, you partner with your, I think you said your dad and some other family folks. Uh, the, the, the question I've got is, should I partner with my adult children when investing in real estate? You know, do you think it's a good idea, bad idea? Um, I think it's, it can be both. I mean, the key I believe is just, like in any business decision, you, you've, you've got to treat it as a business also and you got to, you know, you got to get stuff in writing and you've, you've got to have boundaries. So as, as painful as it might be on the front end to work that stuff out, you, you've got to, um, you've got to write stuff down and what's expected of everyone involved and, you know, have a, you know, it, it's just, it's just a key because stuff, you know, when stuff's going well, it, it doesn't matter, but you know, stuff doesn't always go well. And uh, whether it's family or just a business partner, you got to have uh, everything in writing and, and your, you know, your partnership agreements uh, formalized. And so I would just strongly recommend that it, it can be, it can go uh, be a great, great thing, but you just, you just got to be very disciplined. That's great advice, Paul. Yeah. Good advice. All right. Final question of the fire round. My property manager is terrible at communicating with me. How do I get them to communicate better? I uh, got two two answers. One is I'd uh, if it's too much of a headache, I'd just find another property manager. Would be the first good uh, advice. I agree. And in, in my market, that's a little hard to do because there's only a couple options. But in a big city, you know, you just you you find a better one. But the thing that I've been I've got a great manager, and um, one th- when we've got a lot more going on, what I've uh, discipline that I've uh, implemented is is just having a weekly meeting. So you just have a standing. Uh, 
you know, Monday at 10 o'clock, uh, you just, whether it's a five minute phone call or an hour phone call, you just, you get it on the calendar and, and, uh, you kind of force the communication to happen once, at least once a week. That's a I cool that's idea. Great. I yeah. heard that. So that's great. Yeah. It's a good thing Brandon's not your uh, property manager. He doesn't <laughs> like attending meetings. <laughs> I hate meetings. I hate God, meetings. So meetings. Yeah. They do, but yeah. whatever. They're- no, I think it's great advice. I think that's a good way to kind of train them. And, and hopefully they're, they're willing to, to work with you along those lines and do that. Obviously, you, you have the right to say, you know what, if you don't, I'm out of here. Right. Yep. So, cool. Absolutely. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Well, let us move it over to the famous four. All right, the famous four. Again, these are the questions we ask everyone. And I know, Paul, you listen to the podcast, so you know what's coming. Number one, what is your favorite real estate book? I've been trying for days to come up with an original answer, but I must say <laughs> that Mr. McElroy's ABC's real estate investing. I'm sorry. That's all right. That's a good one. That's don't, don't be sorry. That hasn't been said too often. I mean, <laughs> I and you know what? He was he was a, a he was a good guest on the show. So yeah, I, I I'm uh, I'm not displeased by that. All right. What, <laughs> what, what, yeah, yeah. What what about your uh, favorite business book? I really like. Um, I've got a bunch of favorites, but I like Napoleon Hill and Think and Grow Rich. Okay, it's a good book. Good. Yeah. Good, good choice. Good choice. All right. Uh, I'll take your question. I usually ask Josh. Oh, I'll ask my question. Oh, fine. fine. I, I mean, I, I already know his hobbies. He, the guy, the guy's a, a was a wakeboarder, kiteboarder. I mean, he 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 has no respect for windsurfing, the the true art on the water. But uh, <laughs> you know, what do you what do you do? What do you do for fun? Oh, I I try to yeah, I like being in the water. You know, we have a lot of you know fishing, uh, kiteboarding, play a little golf. Yeah, you know, try to try try to cut water? that a lot. <laughs> water, yeah, water golf. It's it's a new sport. It's, it's pretty sweet. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help it. All right, cool, cool. All right, and final question from me is: uh, What do you believe sets apart successful real estate investors from those who fail? Um, I would I would just say perseverance. I mean, you, you know, you just you gotta um, you know, there's ups and downs like anything, and you just gotta you got to push through it. It's not easy. Um, sometimes it feels easy. Sometimes it feels really hard, but you just, I think perseverance is just the big, the big thing. You just got to stick with it. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right, Paul. Well, listen, we definitely appreciate all of your time and uh, your energy here and putting up with, uh, me. Um, (laughs) so before we let you go, where, where can people find out more about you? Uh, I'm on bigger pockets quite a bit. Um, or you can find me on uh, my website, which is kingdomeg.com. Uh, that's E as in Edward, G as in golf. So the site stands. The site stands, stands for King, Kingdom Edward Golf. Kingdom. <laughs> what, what what is the site about? Kingdom Equity Group is one, oh. one of my companies. So. Okay, gotcha. Gotcha. Not, not water golf. Darn it. Not water golf. Just, just straight and straight golf. No. Right on. Right on. Oh, well, All right, cool. Paul. Well, listen, man. Thanks a lot, man. We definitely appreciate it. Uh, it's great having you on the show and we'll see you back around uh, on the forums and of course on the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 59. Sounds good. Thanks guys. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. All right, everybody. That was Paul Cheddar. Uh, you can uh, check him out on our show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 59. Make sure to hit him up with any questions you've got. Hopefully you guys are enjoying these conversations that we're bringing to you from the bigger pockets podcast. Our, our goal here is to, you know, 
get as much information as we can from our uh, our cohorts on the show and and uh you know to to just really chat about things of interest to us and and hopefully to you as well so uh we do appreciate you listening um as always definitely check us out at biggerpockets.com uh, if you're not already interacting, engaging, participating, I encourage you to do so. And uh, beyond that, try something new today. So if you're on Bigger Pockets all the time and you're posting in the forums, but never have on the blog, never left a comment for the author of an article who spends a lot of time bringing you really great content, leave them a, leave them a piece of feedback or vice versa. If you're always on the blog, jump on the forums and and interact, help somebody out, do something different on the site today and, and see what you can do and see who you'll meet. Uh, otherwise, that's pretty much what we got for you. I'm Josh Dorkin, signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.